Welcome to the Anthro to UX podcast, where you will learn how to break into UX with an anthropology degree. Through conversations with leading anthropologists working in user experience, you will learn firsthand how others made the transition, what they learned along the way, and what they would do differently. We will be discussing what it means to do UX research from a practical perspective and what you need to do to prepare a resume and portfolio. I'm your host, Matt Arts, a business anthropologist specializing in design anthropology and working at the intersection of product management, user experience, and business strategy. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Anthro to UX. This is Matt Arts. I'm here today with Vanessa Watley, head of research of data and growth at Twilio, previously a UX researcher in various UX roles at Google and Capital One, and um, comes to us with both uh, an anthropology degree and a human factors degree. So Vanessa, thanks for joining. Um, would you mind telling us all how you first got interested in anthropology? Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, the road to anthropology was pretty much a serendipitous discovery. So in undergrad, I was very interested in psychology. I also thought I was going to major in business. And I just took one anthropology class as like a kind of like, you know, general electives or whatever they have you do in your first two years. And I ended up really falling in love with it. Um, I think in part because I was new to, um, I did my undergrad at Berkeley. I was new to Berkeley. I was kind of moving to the United States by myself for the first time. Before that, I was living in Germany. And so it was also this interesting way to like unpack my own experiences of culture shock and seeing the differences between like what my norms were, what other people's norms were. And I just went all in after that. So you start working in UX. And so how did that happen? I mean, I, most people don't hear about it in anthropology programs, especially that point. It seems like you started around 2015, which is like when, when I started. And so at that, certainly at that time, you didn't hear much about it, even in like my program, which was an applied program. So how did you stumble across it? Yeah, it was a rough road after anthropology degree. So I started doing the job interviews and people, you know, asked me if anthropology was about dinosaur bones. And I was like, not quite. Um, so I don't, I don't know if, um, the first couple of years I really did know what to do with my degree. I always felt like it was such a great education from kind of like holistic thinking, um, challenging kind of your own beliefs and things like that, but I didn't know what to do with it. So initially I was doing all types of different jobs. Um, I had gotten a personal training certification when I was an undergrad. So I was doing that for a little bit. My first um, kind of real exposure to UX as a discipline was when I was working at a small company called Brightroll, um, which eventually got acquired by Yahoo. So that was kind of the first time where I had, you know, engineers, marketers, designers, like the full kind of um, set of disciplines around me. And I was just asking a lot of questions and trying to learn about what people were doing. And then I would say... Um, I was even more kind of deeply involved with the UX team when I switched to um, working at a small company called Monsoon, and they ended up getting acquired by Capital One. And so that's really where I had like full-on exposure where I was joining the design team on 
kind of in-home visits and doing design sprints and like doing week-long design thinking boot camps and just really realize that this is actually a great overlap into the things I already like and know and care about. Um, and was kind of like toying with the idea of, do I go deeper into the design side of things and discipline, um, or do I kind of explore research? And so that was kind of like my moment where I, I kind of knew, okay, this is the field that I think I want to pursue. And so did you, you know, the experience, the professional experience you had at that point, is that what then kind of convinced you to do the human factors degree? Yeah. So I think my initial exposure was definitely just joining um, different kind of activities, but officially my title was an executive assistant. So I was not doing anything like day-to-day um, that was UX specific. But the the person that um, I used to report to, he was like a product VP. And so I got a lot of exposure to thinking about design and product. And after that exposure, um, when I started inquiring, like, how can I, you know, officially transition into research? Um, that's when I was told, you know, a higher level degree is pretty much required. I think it's changed or some companies definitely don't have have those requirements. But at that time, it was very much PhD favored, master's minimum. Um, and so at that time, I was like, okay, if I need the degree, I'll get the degree. Um, and I had simultaneously at work started doing something more like research adjacent. So I was working in research operations. So that really rounded out, I would say, my more hands-on education as well, where I was working with all of the researchers to start writing screeners and thinking through recruitment criteria and learning about all the different tools and methods and um, being more hands-on there. And then I was working full-time while getting a degree full-time, which I do not recommend for sanity <laughs> sanity purposes, but it worked out in the long run. <laughs> And ended up, yeah, just kind of having the more like theoretical piece um, and more like rigor on on the human factor side where I was taking courses just around, you know, um, how does the human brain process information? Like how um, does our like visual system work? Just pretty much like more um, academic in theory. Then another part of the program was really focused on client work. So we were able to have more hands-on practice and build out portfolio pieces. Um, and then other formats were a little bit more executive style and bootcamp style programs so that we were um, also really more exposed to the business side of things. So I thought it was a fantastic way to like round out the humanity side of things, um, which I felt like I already had like a deeper grasp in and and pull in some of those other disciplines, um, which I feel like served me well now that I'm in UX for several years. Did you make a conscious decision going into it, like thinking that this other discipline would complement anthropology? Or did you realize that as you were going through it? Yeah, I think as I was exploring UX as a serious career, that's when I made an intentional choice to find a program that would kind of complement my existing skill set and also have enough hands-on, um, like, practical experience. Um, that was really important to me because I felt like going too deep in theory um, might not be as as helpful in the short term. 
<laughs> in terms of like jumping in and applying or getting a, a job in UX. So I was pretty intentional about that. And I think at that point, I was attending a ton of just networking events, watching videos online. So I kind of already had a sense of um, what could be helpful to me as I try to make that switch. And so, you know, today there's obviously a lot of younger, I won't say younger, but like say anthropology students who are earlier in their anthropology journey, regardless of age. And many of them aren't thinking of going on for advanced degrees in anthropology and are looking to make the switch. You said that, you know, you're seeing changes where you don't necessarily need the PhD or maybe even master's anymore. Would you recommend somebody doing like a complementary master's degree as like a general rule if you, you know, whether that's human factors or something other than maybe the you know, broader design field? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say I really always try to hear people's story and understand where they're at and how close they already are. Um, because to me, it's almost like doing an audit of what you already know and your past experience and seeing how close are you or like, what are the gaps that you're trying to fill in your education rather than saying like, oh, you need a PhD or you need this type of program. So I would say everyone's a little bit different. And for me, um, in hindsight, now I'm very grateful that part of my education was by hands-on learning and trying to transition at the job. I see people struggle a little bit more with that when they um, kind of try to come fresh from academia or fresh from whatever program they've done with zero on the job experience. And then they try to interview because I think what the proximity teaches you of just being around people who are thinking and speaking UX is it teaches you the language and the frameworks. And I've seen people successfully switch in a variety of ways, whether um, like I, I'm not a huge advocate per se of online boot camps, but for some people, that's exactly that last little bit that they need. For other folks, it does make sense to to go a little bit further in formal education. And then for others, I'm like, take your social science degree and just, <laughs> even if it's a bachelor's and, and run with it, like you, there's still paths in. And I think a lot of different companies are thinking about, you know, internships, apprenticeships, um, and other ways for kind of people who are switching or pivoting um, from what they traditionally studied and supporting them in that journey. So I think um, there are many paths. <laughs> and I think everyone should be like very mindful of what feels right for them and their point um, in their career and in their life too. Like, financially, time-wise, all of those things matter. And so let's talk about your work a little. So, you know, you kind of start doing the work at Capital One. You know, at around the time of 2015, 2016, while UX was certainly not new, it was definitely early in like the popular imagination, right? It wasn't super hot yet, as it is like right now. Um, and, you know, teams, of course, are always maturing. And so there was more sort of immature practices all around. Granted, you're at Capital One and then Google. And so, of course, they're going to be maybe on, presumably on the more mature side. But what was that early kind of experience like before it's like today where it's completely blown up? I mean, I really enjoyed it. I, I felt like I had several researchers there who 
were great mentors to me. Um, I think at the time there were like three researchers in very different parts of the business that I would spend a lot of time with. And that was great to just see everyone's unique approach. Um, and obviously we were doing very traditional things like just usability tests or, um, yeah, things that are more like tactical, focused on the UI. But then we also did really fun and engaging things. Um, like we spun up a wine and dine program that was essentially like setting up dinners with these business owners for like the small business part of Capital One and thinking about how can we run activities and create this like engaging environment. Um, and then we also like did more of a field program where every Friday we would go out to businesses. And so I loved my time there. It was like a very creative, just um, very open environment to just exploring. I would also say in terms of like team size, uh, the UX team had grown a ton from when Capital One was in its earlier days to like by the time that I left. Um, so you saw like a lot more maturity coming in, a formal operations team, um, building out labs in different locations so that you could do um, like more rigorous in-person, like usability type stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it was just like a, a great time to have all of that exposure. I would say also as like the, the maturity grows in the team, then you have like the resources and other things to kind of play around um, with other types of testing and, and studies. So it was it was a great time to just <laughs> be there for that for that journey. So tell us a little bit about how you made your way to Google. You know, so many people want to end up there. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously, you came from Capital One, which is a good name, helps. Yeah, you know, a few years of experience, but you know, the process to get into Google can still be challenging. So what was that like? Yeah. Oh my goodness. That was so nerve wracking and like terrifying. I think from the outside looking in, I had a, a lot of imposter syndrome of just, am I ready for this stuff? And I, I think at the time, had I not, I was probably months after I had like simultaneously completed my um, master's program, like officially. And so that was kind of my first time interviewing for a UX position because everything else was like external. And um, I, I felt like at some point I did the work. I did all of the prep. I still have a guide that I wrote back from whatever year that was <laughs> um, that I share with people to this day that really broke out. Like, this is how you address hypothetical versus like, scenario-based and past experience-based questions. And I was just very methodical about like, I don't want to get caught off guard and I want to show up and like have a portfolio ready. Um, so it's very intimidating and it was a very long process too. And <laughs> that when I initially started, things moved very fast. And then the team matching phase stretched out a very long time for me because I matched with the team. So at Google essentially you get hired for the company and then you have to find your actual dedicated product area routine. So can you tell me how Google maybe differed from Capital One? So I guess one of the biggest differences is like thinking about um, organizational structures and like how UX sits within the company. 
So at Capital One, um, a lot of the UX teams kind of started out a little bit more centralized. Um, so the way that researchers would kind of operate is there was like an intake form and the product teams would kind of come to the researchers and it felt like more in-house consulting. Um, and then later when I was specifically working on an enterprise team within Capital One, I was really dedicated to um, CapitalOne.com, our homepage, which was a really cool thing to work on just because it's like very high traffic, has a lot of different parts of the business that plug into that homepage. Um, and that kind of, I, I like that working model better. And um, that was definitely how my time at Google was as well, where we were embedded into our specific product area. Um, and then within Google, my my time there. So when I was at Capital One, I was an individual contributor, and it's definitely more so focused, you know, on what early career folks focus on, which is like tactical stuff. You know, maybe some um, interviews that start playing in the foundational space a little bit more. But my time at Google, I felt like my career really accelerated. Um, and the first couple of months, I was definitely working you know, on a portion of the product. So um, the product that my team owned was called Smart Campaigns, um, which is a, a platform for small and medium business owners to do advertising. And um, when I started out, I was really just like focused on the onboarding journey, which is like, you know, one sign up flow. Um, and by the time I left, I had kind of switched out of being an individual contributor to um, leading a team of both qualitative and quantitative researchers, which is very new to me because I started out very qualitative um, and kind of looking at not only the end-to-end -end product, but also even outside of the product. So starting as early as discovery and like, what are the marketing pages into onboarding into ongoing product usage? Um, so really owning that product experience end-to-end -end and then eventually shortly before i left even expanding outside of just our product and starting to look at how we fit into other product areas as well so what is our relationship to other products like google my business and when companies show up on maps or um working on another campaign type called performance max and so really from a scope perspective that was super exciting to me so just <laughs> continue to like think about larger broader more ambiguous spaces yeah sure yeah it's, it's sort of the uh, dream of many to move from the tactical to that kind of <laughs> foundational work um yeah after all the fun stuff happens <laughs> exactly um so you know many people coming from anthropology are very qual focused obviously you know you say about yourself so what appreciation did you develop especially in a place like Google, which is known to have a little bit of a, maybe a quant bias and, you know, certainly many quants around. So what, what appreciation did you develop from being around them and, and now sort of bring into the practice at Twilio that, you know, you think adds a lot of value? Yeah. I, I mean, people often say this, so maybe it is a little cliche about, you know, the part of the story that qual tells versus what quant tells. Um, but for me, it really is about being able to have a more holistic picture and also like contextualizing what you know and what you learn. So now a lot of what I do with my team and with my team in the past is really think about 
um, how can we position things so that these insights and what we know about our customers are useful in helping us develop better products and make good decisions. And so a lot of times, you know, the business does care about the numbers and like, if we change this thing, like, what will it do for, <laughs> for the business? And also like, is it helpful to the customer? So I think we're at that cool intersection where if we're able to pull in more of the quant data and show like, this is the size of that audience or here's a trend we're seeing and marrying it with the qual data of like, this is what's motivating that behavior, or why it's happening, or how to think about this or reframe this. Um, it just tells a story that is so powerful that a lot of times, you know, you can have that impact. You you naturally become more influential than if you're um, just coming with a piece of the story and expecting others to do the rest to figure it out. So you said something in there that I think maybe speaks to uh, an opportunity and and maybe it's related to potentially a little confusion. So a lot of people coming from academia, when they hear quant, it seems like they initially go like right to like bad memories of SPSS, <laughs> you know, and like, you know, days of stats courses that they may or may not have enjoyed. Um, but in tech, you know, we have a lot of tools and, you know, it's certainly doesn't have to be SPSS. And, you know, there's just lots of analytics platforms that provide us, a wealth of data that are actually quite easy to use. Um, And so was your experience like, you know, are are you using those kind of platforms that I'm speaking about as part of your job more frequently than like hardcore stats? Yeah, I would say so. Um, So at Google, the the quant practice is really interesting because it's a a lot more technical than I think what other, um, you know, now that we have so many titles, we have the mixed methods researchers, we have quant researchers. And sometimes that just means like you have some sort of stats background and you can do like rigorous survey analysis. Um, at Google, that actually also meant that a lot of the quants were able to like write scripts so that they can query log data and just um, get really into like product usage metrics as well and not just um, kind of like analyzing survey data. And so um, I think the spectrum of quant, like it's fascinating. And I will definitely admit there are people on my team that know how to, you know, write scripts and um, do things that I myself don't know how to do. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I was always very committed to understanding just enough so that we can think about like, the rigor, the quality of the data source, and then also think about um, how it fits in. And so, as you're saying, you know, there are a lot of like higher level analytics dashboards where you can just, or um, at Google, a lot of the engineers were building out, you know, um, kind of what what does our funnel look like? You know, how many customers drop off at each step? And so, that type of data, I think everyone should learn how to absorb, use, understand, like position their findings according to those types of things, because um, it does tell a story that, um, yeah, like I said, can can have a lot of impact if you know how to bring all of those pieces together. Yeah. And, and I'm glad that it kind of came up because, you know, I'm not suggesting everybody gets into like, you know, R and Python and such things, but, um, you know, everybody I think listening should like I would suggest that I get into some of these kind of platforms that are off the shelf from some of the products from Google to, you know, others, 
uh, and you know, begin to sort of make them part of the practice. There's no reason to sort of shy away from them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so, um, so you mature kind of rapidly at Google, you know, you now have the opportunity to lead a team that is, you know, as it's fr- framed in charge of both sort of data and growth. And so just tell us a little bit about, you know, what that means at Twilio. Yeah. Um, so Twilio is interesting in that it has a lot of uh, different acquisitions and companies that have come together in and, and its kind of recent history, I want to say in the last like two to three years. Um, so the the products that people might traditionally think of as Twilio, which is like a lot of the communications APIs, actually don't sit within my team. My team kind of focuses on um, two other, well, three other product areas that kind of play into that full story. So um, I don't know if many folks have heard of Segment, but um, it's a customer data platform that got acquired by Twilio and essentially allows companies to bring their data from various different types of sources um, into one place and is essentially allowing them to um, package, like clean and optimize their data in a way where it then becomes usable so that they can act on it, like sending marketing campaigns, email campaigns, um, running analytics, things like that. And so that's kind of um, the area or the spectrum that my team looks after is both the customer data platform side, as well as like those engagement layers of email, marketing campaigns, messaging, um, how to act on that and kind of reach out to your customers. Um, So we're definitely in the B2B space. Um, In terms of my personal like role and how that's changed over time, as I mentioned, Capital One was very much so more on the tactical side, starting to learn more about strategic uh, work at Google. um, I did some like foundational work myself. So I was a little bit in hybrid mode for some time which is uh, a rough part of your career, (laughs) trying to conduct research and lead a team at the same time. Um, But I really, I learned a lot and I enjoyed it. Um, And now I'm no longer doing research myself. I really just am looking after the team. So the way that my team is structured is I have two research managers that report to me and then all of the individual contributors report to them. And then we recently also had a service designer join the team. And so now kind of like the scope and the the types of things that I'm thinking about are a little bit different because I'm a little bit less close to, you know, the customer and doing the work myself. Um, and is a little bit more focused on thinking about how, one, I can kind of empower, enable, support the team to do their best work all the way from operations and tooling and systems and how do we, um, our team grew very quickly too. So it doubled since I joined in the last four months. Um, so how do you kind of like scale without, you know, introducing too much process? Like those are kind of the types of things um, that I think about on the team level. And then on the product level, um, because there are, you know, three kind of separate products almost. Um, I'm thinking a lot about like, how do we, as the, the people thinking about the customer experience, make sure that those silos aren't experienced by the customer? 
and that we're starting to create a more holistic picture. So service design is something I'm excited about because there you're able to kind of look at journeys holistically across the board, all the way from day zero through ongoing usage, but you're also able to look at the different levels and stages of you know, are they interacting with their interface? Are they talking to a salesperson? And just like, how does all of that come together? Um, so it's like sometimes very just <laughs> intense, um, intense, just like overload of information because it's a lot to kind of package and unpack and think through. But that's the type of work that really excites me is also thinking about um, that holistic experience, because I don't know, as you and I navigate our day to day, those are the kinds of things that can make or break, like how we think about an entire company is it doesn't always have to be like that. I can't log into the app. Sometimes it's like, I got a call from customer service and they pissed me off. And so, um, I love thinking about like experiences and that holistic way. So, you know, in there, there's a fair amount of things to maybe know to to learn to teach yourself and then to to carry out and lead and so obviously you had some experience at google leading as you described um but anything in there that's like challenging and that you're working through in a learning that you know maybe others who are in similar trajectories could learn from i mean just thinking about like when you're starting at a new place um Everyone describes like the Nugler experience as drinking from a fire hose and there's a million things coming your way and it's very hard to onboard and people call themselves Nooglers like a year in still where they're like, I'm still new, I'm still learning. Um, and I felt a lot of pressure in this role because um, at least at Google, I had that benefit of like, it was only me, I had no direct reports. But kind of coming in at this level, I felt a lot of pressure of, you know, how do you learn and ramp up quickly when other people are already coming to you with questions and have expectations of you? Um, and so I think I, I read the first 90 days, <laughs> which I hadn't finished it, but had some helpful tips and just trying to think through some of those things ahead of time. Like, how do you structure learning? How do you... Um, really focus on relationships. I think in every single one of my one-on-ones I started with, I want to get to know you, your background. Um, I think that's skipped over so easily in the workplace, but having that type of foundation rapport, similar to when we do research, you know, <laughs> the rapport building a little bit at the beginning can go a long way so that when there are kind of tensions or, you know, decisions that need to be made, the communication piece is not where it breaks down. It's hopefully that like you both have the intention of solving the problem together. So I think I focused a lot on um, the relationship piece and then just trying to um, go deep in some areas that started standing out. Because again, now having to operate at various different altitudes um, where I'm kind of about the individual researchers, but then also like, how do you manage other managers? And then there are my peers and stakeholders who are all very senior. And then there's the actual products themselves. How do you ramp on to three very technical <laughs> product spaces? Um, it all felt very overwhelming, but I, I kind of try to break it down and go deep in areas that started being like hot topics so that 
at least instead of trying to ramp up on everything evenly all at once and not feeling adequate in any area, going deep on like, okay, this is a decision that needs to be made for the next quarter. Like, let me lean in there and understand the context and spend enough time with the team. So um, I think each organization and each like culture is going to be very different. Um, but I think that's the power of anthropology, right? We have like those observational powers and like use those to, to like really take things in and think about like, what is your strategy or approach to hopefully getting to a place where you can have impact quickly and sooner. Um, so definitely had an approach of observe, learn, ask all the questions first, rather than coming in too hot and saying, I know what I'm doing because I came from Google. That's not a good way to make friends. So I think so far it's it's been a good ride. Um, I've had a, a good time. It's been challenging at times, but um, I'm happy with how my my journey has kind of progressed. You know, one of the other things you said was that you were, well, you scaled quickly. And so you're thinking about operations a bit. And so, um, you know, anything that you're doing there that's, you know, whether you're inventing it or you're sort of borrowing it from previous experiences, anything that you're trying that you think you'd share that isn't too, too private to the organization, but might help others who are, again, who are trying to grow teams? I mean, I would say the, the basics that, we did have in place that I think I'm just trying to tweak or optimize our recruiting, I think is super, super critical. Making sure the team has access to who we need to speak to, um, which I think, you know, at different organizations, like, yes, that's the foundation of research, but then I feel like there are levels to, <laughs> to how rigorous you can get or how good you can get access to customers at scale or, um, you know, what kind of criteria you can filter by. And so I think we definitely had a lot of things in place, but I think there's a lot of room to make sure, like, now that the, there's more researchers that are trying different tools, methodologies. Um, how can we kind of make sure the process is supporting them rather than slowing them down um, while still maintaining enough rigor um, and kind of like protecting the customer experience? So that's one area I'm leaning into. And then another thing that um, I did with my team at Google that I am pretty adamant about, um, which I don't think people love planning and planning definitely has, has its problems and pitfalls too, but, um, trying to have a more deliberate quarterly planning process where we're not just doing intake from other stakeholders, but we're actually sitting down and thinking about what have we noticed? What have we learned? What do we want to pitch as our original ideas or as things that you know, they might not be pressing, you know, product features, but there are going to have to be times where we scope out foundational work that's for a decision that's happening six months from now. But if we start six months from now, we're already behind. And so um, I think just that sort of thinking and big on like repeating ideas and kind of drilling that into the culture of the team is that, you um, you should know the customers better than anyone else. Like 
you get to have ideas. You get to have like a fresh and original point of view and be vocal about it. Like that, that is exciting and it's okay. And I think um, for me, the evolution of research has definitely gone from more of a, you know, we're clinically reporting the insights and observations <laughs> to also making recommendations and having more of a strategic seat at the table or, um, you know, we can be clear about this is what we know and learned as a fact. And here's some ideas that I have for, for how to address this. Um, yeah, something I, I'm excited about that my team is leaning into more and would love to see us just like thrive in that space as well. Yeah. And would agree that that's uh, really in many ways where we need to be so that we do have this seat at the table, right? Yeah. We uh, do have important things to contribute and exactly. we need to be heard more. So that's a, probably a good place to maybe wrap up. Um, great sort of last recommendation. So thanks for sharing that. If anybody wanted to get in touch with you, where could they find you? Probably LinkedIn is, is the easiest one. Um, definitely love when people share context too, so that we know why we're connecting. And <laughs> yeah, looking forward to it. Well, Vanessa, thanks for taking the time. It's great talking with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening to the Anthro to UX podcast. To learn everything you need to break into UX, visit anthrotoux.com. There you will find all the podcast episodes and career coaching resources. Please like, share, and subscribe. See you next time.